What is fascism? Selected reading from the Communist, the former theoretical organ of the Communist Party USA, and the current theoretical organ of the Party of Communists USA. What is fascism? By L. Magyar, April 1934. Fascism is the product of the post-war crisis of the capitalist system. Lenin said, quote, In capitalist society, under the most favorable conditions of development, we have a more or less complete democracy in the democratic republic. But this democracy is always limited by the narrow framework of capitalist exploitation, and therefore always remains in reality a democracy for a minority, only for the possessing class, only for the rich. The freedom of a capitalist system always remains much the same as that of the Greek republics of antiquity, a freedom for slave owners. The hired modern slaves, thanks to the conditions of capitalist exploitation, remain so crushed by need and misery that they have no interest in quote-unquote democracy and quote-unquote politics, and in the ordinary, peaceful course of events. The majority of the population does not participate at all in social and political life. End quote. Lenin, Complete Works, Volume 21. Democracy for an insignificant minority. Democracy for the rich. That is the democracy of capitalist society. Even in the freest and most democratic republics, even in their most developed form, even where the labor movement enjoys the broadest quote-unquote legality, bourgeois democracy only disguises by its democracy the fact that the bourgeois democratic state is nothing but a personification and incorporation of class domination, of the class dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Marx Engels, Lenin, Stalin, have shown that bourgeois democracy means the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, that the bourgeois state, however democratic it may be, is nothing but the incorporation of bourgeois dictatorship. Quote, democracy under the capitalist regime is only a capitalist democracy, a democracy of the exploiting minority, consisting in limiting the rights of the exploited majority, a democracy directed against that majority, end quote, Stalin. That is the meaning of bourgeois democracy. But to the extent that capitalism of free competition is transformed into monopoly capitalism, its last and highest stage, where the entire economic life is concentrated in the hands of a few monopolists, a few large banks and trusts, to the extent that capitalism disintegrates and decays, democracy yields to political reaction. Lenin wrote, quote, The political attributes of imperialism are the most extensive reaction and an intensification of national oppression, joined with the oppression of a financial oligarchy and the suppression of free competition, end quote. The class basis for the transformation of democracy, which is characteristic of freely competitive capitalism, into reaction, which is characteristic of the period of imperialism, consists in the appearance of, quote, the omnipotence of finance capital 
and of its political attributes, end quote. The World Imperialist War and the October Revolution opened the period of the general crisis of capitalism. If democracy is characteristic of the capitalist period and reaction of pre-war imperialism, then the most brutal and open forms of bourgeois dictatorship are characteristic of the general crisis of capitalism. To save capitalism, the bourgeoisie sets afoot the fascist party and fascist organizations. It fascizes its state apparatus, and in some countries, it establishes open fascist dictatorship. Fascism, as well as social fascism, is the product of the general crisis of capitalism. Fascism is the product of the aggravation of class struggle between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. The struggle for power in the period when the world proletarian revolution has already begun, and the land of Soviets already exists. Bourgeois democracy is a camouflaged form of bourgeois dictatorship. Fascism is an open form of bourgeois dictatorship. Bourgeois democracy, never shrinking from the use of open physical violence against the revolutionary proletariat, tries to keep the proletariat in class subjection by methods of violence clothed in democratic forms, using the school, the press, the church, etc. Fascism uses, in general, methods of open physical terror against the proletariat, but it does not avoid in the least methods of quote-unquote democratic violence against the proletariat. Bourgeois democracy, as a form of bourgeois dictatorship, also fought by all possible means and methods, including the methods of physical violence against the establishment and development of independent organizations of the working class, against really proletarian parties, unions, etc. But these organizations were not destroyed by methods of open violence on the part of the bourgeois state power, although the proletariat created them in the midst of relentless class struggle. The fascist type of bourgeois dictatorship takes as its main task the destruction of working class organizations and especially of the vanguard of the working class, the Communist Party. Under the conditions of bourgeois democracy, freedom of speech, press, and assembly is the freedom of speech, press, and assembly for the bourgeoisie. But the proletariat and its class organizations may, under capitalism, make use of these liberties within the limits imposed by the bourgeoisie. The fascist variety of bourgeois dictatorship suppresses even these scant possibilities. As the crisis of capitalism grows, the class struggle between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie becomes more bitter. As the struggle between the classes becomes sharper, the bourgeoisie turns more and more to brutal methods of maintaining its class domination and preserving capitalism. In this situation, opportunism and reformism play an important part. The transformation of freely competitive capitalism into monopoly capitalism, into imperialism, is accompanied by a growth of the labor aristocracy. This process began in England, before imperialism had come to Europe. For a long time, the English bourgeoisie had an industrial and colonial monopoly, which permitted it to corrupt the upper levels of the proletariat. The pre-war period of imperialism 
is characterized by the domination of opportunism and reformism in the labor movement. During the World War, opportunism was transformed into social chauvinism. In the period of the general crisis of capitalism, opportunism and reformism have changed into social fascism. However, it is precisely the general crisis of capitalism which determines that, quote, opportunism cannot now have sway in the labor movement of any country for a long series of decades, as did the English opportunism in the second half of the 19th century. But it has passed its final ripening. It has rotted and putrefied in a whole series of countries where it integrated with bourgeois politics in the form of social chauvinism. End quote. Lenin. In the period of the general crisis of capitalism, and especially after the October victory, social democracy, the main social support of the bourgeoisie, transformed into social fascism, seeks more and more for the opportunity to decoy the masses, while Bolshevism strengthens itself and conquers new positions. Fascism is an open and bloody form of bourgeois dictatorship which has for its aim the destruction of the revolutionary vanguard of the proletariat, that is to say, the communist strata of the proletariat, its fighting forces, and its leadership. Once arrived at power, fascism reveals itself as an open terrorist dictatorship of big capital. At the same time, it continues to use certain methods of social and national demagogy designed to keep the petty bourgeois strata of the population and some of the strata of the working class under the fascist banner. Such is the meaning of fascism. The strengthening of reaction and the maturation of fascism have occurred at an accelerated pace in the third period of post-war imperialism, as was indicated by the 12th plenum of the Executive Committee of the Communist International. The strengthening of reaction and the maturation of fascism have occurred at an accelerated pace in the third period of post-war imperialism, as was indicated by the 12th plenum of the Executive Committee of the Communist International. The strengthening of reaction and the maturation of fascism have reached large proportions, especially in the period of the peacetime economic crisis which has led to the aggravation and intensification of all the contradictions inherent in imperialism and to the revolutionary upsurge of the masses. The end of the relative stability of capitalism, the transition to a new cycle of wars and revolutions, concurrent with the universally significant victory of socialism in the Soviet Union, have thrust the capitalist crisis into a new stage. Under these conditions, the bourgeoisie, while still making use of social fascism, its main social support, promulgates fascism, especially in those countries where the class struggle has become highly acute, where the situation is very revolutionary, and where the danger of revolution is most immediate. The exterior forms of fascism differ in all countries. What they have in common are the forms of agitation and propaganda of the fascist parties a national and social demagogy. Fascism, in its quote-unquote specific form, carries out the policies of the financial oligarchy, of the bankers, and of the big landowners in countries where there is an extensive agriculture. 
the class situation of the urban as well as the rural petty bourgeoisie predisposes them to be receptive to the nationalistic demagogy. The Versailles system, which brought about an intensification of national oppression, created a favorable basis for a nationalist demagogy. Although the petty bourgeoisie and the peasantry are robbed by finance capital, fascism tries to conquer these by hurling forth demagogic slogans and by making a petty bourgeois criticism of finance capital. Fascism tries to oppose the doctrine of the class struggle, the Marxist-Leninist ideology, with its own ideology of national unity, of the identity of interests of all classes in the nation, of harmonious cooperation of all these classes, of a corporate state as the incorporation of the superiority of the Nordic Germanic races and the Aryan mission to dominate other races in Germany, and of the negation of class struggle. One of its principal slogans is, quote, down with Marxism, end quote. Once arrived at power and stabilized, fascism, quote, loses its anti-capitalist tinsel, end quote, program of the Communist International. What is common to the fascist movements in all countries is that it creates alongside of the apparatus of physical violence which assures bourgeois dominance, armed detachments of picked persons for struggle against the revolutionary proletariat. Once in power, it consolidates them with the regular machinery of force of bourgeois control. Fascism does not oppose social democracy. That is social fascism. Fascism and social fascism are, quote, not opposite poles, but twin brothers, end quote. Stalin. The relations between fascism and social fascism are determined by concrete circumstances. Counter-revolutionary Trotskyism, as well as the renegades of the right, assert that fascism and social fascism are mutually exclusive. Trotsky, as well as Thalheimer, have fought and fight relentlessly against qualifying the present social democracy as quote-unquote social fascism. They see in this a quote-unquote exaggeration, a quote-unquote calumny, etc. By this, they only express the fact that they themselves are an organic part of the social fascist camp. In Bulgaria, the social fascists were a legal party during the whole period of fascist dictatorship. In Hungary, the social fascists participated for a while in the fascist government, and the Social Democratic Party and reformist trade unions still exist there legally. In Poland, Pilsudski founded his fascist dictatorship with the open support of the Polish Socialist Party. The same thing occurred in Romania, in Yugoslavia, and in Finland. In Austria, social fascism and the reformist trade unions have adapted themselves well enough to the fascist dictatorship of the Dolphus government. Thus, the victory of fascism need not mean the complete and necessary prohibition of social fascist parties. In Italy, the fascists prohibited the socialist parties and liquidated the reformist unions only after many Italian socialist leaders had entered into the state apparatus, D'Aragona and others. In Germany, the fascists prohibited the reformist trade unions and the Social Democratic Party in spite of the fact that the social fascists had offered their services to fascism by all possible means, 
had voted for the government in the Reichstag, in Italy and in Germany. Fascism prohibited the reformist unions primarily because the working masses were becoming more and more convinced of the correctness of the communist views. In these countries, the reformist unions, in spite of their social fascist leaders, could have become a vast field of action for the mass work of the communists. Thus, the policy of fascism toward social fascism is determined by the concrete situation. Fascism and social fascism have in common that they are both for capitalism, that they both defend it and the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. They have in common also that both at the moment of greatest tension of the revolutionary struggles use the most cruel methods of the bourgeois dictatorship against the activities of the proletariat and of the colonial toilers. However, it goes without saying that there is a difference between fascism and social fascism. Fascism tries to find its social base in the rural and urban petty bourgeoisie, although it also tries to penetrate the ranks of the workers. Social fascism bases itself primarily on the labor aristocracy, though it also attempts to attract to its side the petty bourgeois masses. In Italy and in Germany, fascism supported and still supports itself on the rural petty bourgeoisie. At the same time, in establishing its organizations in the countryside, it supports itself primarily on the kulaks and landlords. Fascism declares itself for an open dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, although it utilizes the remains of bourgeois parliamentarism. Social fascism declares itself, rather, for the democratic methods of bourgeois dictatorship, but this does not exclude and even presupposes the use of open physical force in the moments of sharp aggravation of the class struggle. Fascism aspires to a monopoly over the bourgeois state apparatus, although it does not shrink from momentary coalitions in the other bourgeois parties, and, under certain conditions, from coalition with social fascist parties, for example, Bulgaria and Hungary. Social fascism aspires to an open or disguised coalition with the bourgeois parties, although it does not shrink from forming purely social democratic governments with which it serves the interests of the bourgeoisie. These differences have a definite political meaning, which must be carefully taken into account. Fascism expresses most resolutely the tendency to muster all the different fractions of the ruling class against the proletariat, thus setting the whole capitalist class and its state power against the proletarian masses. But this orientation toward mustering the whole capitalist class does not mean that fascism can put an end to the dissensions and conflicts within the bourgeois camp, or even to stop the conflicts between the different groups of the financial oligarchy. Fascism's tendency to rally the different fractions of the ruling class appears in various forms, according to the concrete conditions in the different countries. In Hungary, in Bulgaria, in Poland, Fascism has affected a fascist dictatorship, though it is far from having liquidated the old bourgeois parties. In Romania, the fascist military dictatorship has been affected by the old bourgeois party. In Yugoslavia, the fascist military dictatorship has liquidated the old bourgeois parties. In Italy, fascism has absorbed to a certain degree one of the parties of the big bourgeoisie and the country gentry, that is the nationalist party 
and it has liquidated the other parties of the bourgeoisie, the populists, the liberals, the democrats. In Germany, as in Italy, the national socialists have liquidated all the old bourgeois parties. The old bourgeois parties have dissolved of themselves automatically, and the national socialists seized all the mass organizations of the bourgeois parties with the aim of unifying them. The crisis is only so much more acute as the tendency of fascism rallying together the different fractions of the bourgeoisie, even at the price of liquidating the old parties, the tendency to end disputes, disagreements, and conflicts within the camps of the fascist bourgeoisie, shows itself more determined. The formation of a special fascist party before the seizure of power by the fascists is not a necessary condition for the foundation of the fascist dictatorship. In Poland, in Yugoslavia, in Romania, in Hungary, there were no mass fascist organizations before the foundation of the fascist dictatorship. In Germany, where fascism is unleashed, one of the forms of fascist dictatorship was established before the direct participation of the National Socialists in the governments of the Reich, for the governments of von Papen and Schleicher constituted a form of fascist dictatorship. In Austria, the Dolphus government is carrying out a fascist dictatorship, while opposing the National Socialists and supporting itself on the Christian Socialist Party, which once stood for bourgeois democracy. The German and Italian social fascists appraise fascism as a dictatorship of the petty bourgeoisie. The Austro-Marxists, including Bauer, believe that the power of the National Socialists is a dictatorship of the petty bourgeoisie. Hitler's government has not been slow to unmask these petty social fascist theories by its acts. Bolshevism appraises fascism as a dictatorship of finance capital, which makes use of the petty bourgeoisie, etc. The experiences of Italy, Germany, Poland, etc., have altogether confirmed the position of the Communist International. The position of the Second International sometimes seeps into the Communist ranks by winning over opportunists and hesitant elements. The theory of the German comrade Herzen, according to which German fascism is a dictatorship of the lumpen proletariat, reflects the influence of social fascist theories. The renegades from communism, Brandler and Thalheimer, have put forth the theory that German fascism is a kind of Bonapartism. Counter-revolutionary Trotskyism has adopted this appraisal with certain modifications. Preobrzezinski thinks that fascism creates a new type of state, and thereby he recognizes the fascist assertion that the corporate state differs fundamentally from the bourgeois state, though he arrives at this by another path. Opportunist theories have appeared which state that fascism is a special type of new system, a special new regime of bourgeois society, that fascism is a new era in the development of imperialism. The social demagogy of the fascists has been understood by some comrades to be an anti-capitalist tendency, Comrade Newman, and the advance of fascism has been regarded as a success for the anti-capitalist tendencies of the masses. Even further, Profoundly opportunistic and dangerous ideas have spread regarding fascism as a necessary stage on the way to revolution, and regarding the victory of fascism as a necessary occurrence in all the decisive countries, 
asserting that the proletariat cannot seize power except by passing through the hell of fascist dictatorship. This fatalist and opportunist theory has founded its complement and its consequence in the theory that the dictatorship of the proletariat will be arrived at automatically, after the dictatorship of fascism. The Communist International has condemned and rejected these opportunist theories. In Germany, the appearance and the development of fascism were brought about by the general conditions indicated in the program of the Communist International. Quote, the instability of capitalist relationships, the presence of important declassed elements, the pauperization of wide strata of the petty bourgeoisie and of intellectuals, the discontent of the rural petty bourgeoisie, and the continual threat of mass proletarian demonstrations. End quote. The Versailles Treaty created conditions peculiarly favorable for the development of the most reactionary nationalism and of chauvinism which were artificially capitalized by fascism for its own ends. The world economic crisis, the aggravated struggle among the imperialist powers for markets, for raw materials, and for economic territories, the breaking up of the unity of the world market, of trade and capital, all this facilitated still further the exaltation of nationalism and chauvinism by the fascists. Undeceived with regard to the political betrayal of social fascism, which had been in power for years and had betrayed the interests of the workers, large masses of the urban petty bourgeoisie, a considerable part of the peasantry, and even some of the most backward strata of the proletariat, part of the agricultural workers, and the most desperate and declassed strata of the workers, part of the unemployed, especially young workers who had not passed through the school of class struggle, and were without hope of finding work, threw themselves into the arms of fascism. The split within the working class, which was caused by social democracy's policy of betrayal, played a large role in the development of German fascism. The divided working class could not draw into its struggle against the bourgeoisie the essential intermediate strata, the petty bourgeoisie, the white-collar workers, the intellectuals, the government employees, and the bourgeoisie subjected these to itself through fascism. Thus, in the struggle for allies, the bourgeoisie succeeded at this stage in beating the proletariat. The entire policy of social democracy during the war and in the post-war period consisted in clearing the path for fascism. German fascism has not come to power, as did Italian fascism, on a rising wave of commercial prosperity but under conditions of increasing economic crisis. In struggle against the economic crisis, German fascism develops only the war industries, preparing itself feverishly for war. Italian fascism came to power in a country which was a victor in the World War, even though the Italian bourgeoisie felt angered at being imposed on by the Treaty of Versailles. Germany is a vanquished country, oppressed by the Treaty of Versailles disarmed, deprived of its colonies, ruined by the reparations, a country located in the center of Europe, at the center of the imperialist contradictions. German fascism came to power in the country where the specific weight of the proletariat is enormous, where the proletariat has passed through a serious schooling in class struggle, and where there is the most powerful communist party in the capitalist world, a tested and bolshevized party. 
the differences, the conflicts, the struggle within fascism itself, which reflect the colliding interests of the different groups of the bourgeoisie and the landowners, have in no sense been removed. German fascism came to power in a country oppressed by the Treaty of Versailles. These difficulties of economic, political, and international nature create complementary difficulties for the fascist dictatorship in Germany. It is plain that once Hitler was in power, he did not even think of realizing the promises given by the National Socialist Party for the purposes of social demagogy. The increase of import tariffs has brought about a rise in the cost of living, from which the kulaks benefit to an infinitesimal degree, while the wholesale traders are the ones who profit. The working class, the urban petty bourgeoisie, and the decisive masses of the peasantry pay dearly for the economic policies of fascism. But large capital receives millions of marks in subsidies under the pretext of fighting unemployment. Bestial anti-Semitism, burning of books, a wave of chauvinism, bloody propaganda for a new war to re-establish the former position of German imperialism, a mad racial arrogance, the violent stifling of all free thought, even for the bourgeoisie, by barbaric methods, these characterize the ideological baggage of fascism in power. But the real content of the policies of German fascism consists in waging a civil war against the proletariat, in preparing for a new imperialist war, and in generously offering its services as a battering ram for military intervention against the Soviet Union. German fascism enters the field of international politics primarily as the defender of military intervention against the Soviet Union, and it asks for relaxation of the Versailles Treaty in exchange for its fight against the land of the Soviets. It hopes to realize the aims of German imperialism in the World Imperialist War, but primarily it comes forward as the battering ram of military intervention against the Soviet Union. It is by means of armed intervention against the Soviet Union that it hopes to take its quote-unquote revenge on French imperialism, to reconquer colonies, in short, to partition the world in the interests of German imperialism. Fascism in Germany, as well as in other countries, has taken as its chief task the liquidation of the independent working class organizations, the destruction of the revolutionary vanguard, the physical extermination of the militant revolutionary workers, the annihilation of the German Communist Party. German fascism has not been able to, and cannot, perform its main task. The Communist Party of Germany holds the breach. German social fascism actually supports the Hitler government. Wells has stated his complete agreement with Hitler's foreign policy. The socialist fraction of the Reichstag has voted for Hitler. The reformist leaders have offered their services to the quote-unquote Third Reich in every possible way. Social fascism has recently costumed itself in the mantle of quote-unquote opposition against fascism, has spoken of quote-unquote revolution against Hitler, has launched the slogan of quote, realizing democracy through the realization of socialism, end quote, etc. Breitscheid, Wells, and the other leaders of German social fascism do not even disguise the fact that this change of tactics has been with a view 
to preventing the victory of proletarian dictatorship, in case fascism is abolished. The German Communist Party organizes, rallies, teaches the working masses, directs the struggle against fascism, and prepares for the abolition of the fascist dictatorship, of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie in general. It prepares for the abolition of capitalism. It conducts the struggle against the quote-unquote Third Reich for a Soviet Germany. Thank you for listening to this reading from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Join us on Discord and visit peopleschool.org to sign up for free classes.